0: Hi, I'm Stephen, this is Mick, and today we're going to be talking about fear. Before we begin though, we just want to say that this is only a discussion. There are no right or wrong answers. These are just our thoughts and opinions which can and will change. Neither of us are experts on anything. We are just two dudes talking. The topic today, Mitch, um, Mick, sorry, I already got you wrong, is fear. And like we normally do, let's start off by, okay, what do we actually mean by fear? I chose here a definition from the dictionary. There are a few different ones, but this one kind of matches as closely as possible what I think about what fear is. And so what I've got here is fear, by the dictionary definition, is a feeling of disquiet or apprehension. Now for yourself, what do you feel or what do you think that, how do you define fear? Yeah, I think
1: it's hard to, in my mind it's a bit hard to define it because it covers quite a different, range of things but in yeah i think it's mainly just like a a signal or a warning that there's a sense of danger to you in, in some way so um whether that danger is real or not it comes from like that signal is sort of designed to um prevent you from dangerous situations i feel
0: yeah i think i pretty much agree with you there it's it's more of a uh okay there's something here that is worrying so be mindful of that and it doesn't necessarily mean that it is actually dangerous or hazardous, but it, it, it there's something in us that is suggesting, okay, there is some danger here, be on alert. And so I guess the next progression from that is, well, where does that actually come from? Where does the fear come from? And I've got two sources here, which are pretty, pretty obvious, I think, is one of them is nature. So maybe we'll talk about that in, in that it's kind of like it gets passed down to us it's what we inherit from our parents. It's, it's what we get through genetics, through evolution. Do you think that that is definitely a source of where some fears that we have may come from? Yeah, yeah, definitely.
1: I definitely would say so. So that'd be like uh, maybe fear of a, an, an animal when you're earlier, when you're in your childhood or whatever, but you don't necessarily understand why and you never had an experience with the animal necessarily. So it's just inherent, I guess.
0: That and another one that I think is pretty common is heights. Like when most people come up to a cliff, even if they've never seen one before, they'll look down over it and they'll be like, okay, that's worrying. I don't know. I don't know. I don't pay attention to enough babies to know that if they would just walk off of like a table or something. But I think it's it's pretty common for someone to look and say, okay, that is dangerous. This, like nature is a source to me that suggests it, is, it comes from evolution in that things that are dangerous if we aren't fearful of them, of them, if we aren't weary of them, we're likely to fall into them and die off and then those genetics won't get passed down. So, for example, like I was saying, if you aren't scared of heights, if you aren't scared of a cliff, then you may just walk off of a cliff and if you walk off of a cliff, you're not going to be able to have children pass your genes down. So I think in terms of nature, that's kind of where it gets bred out. Do you think that that's how... It Works with that, uh, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you look at a herd versus a predator animal, I think a herd is there's an inherent fear there from a predator in order for it to survive. So, yeah, it, it's got it's it part of fear does occur from my point of view, definitely in evolution and it's in nature, yeah, yeah. So, it's not necessarily something that you may have had to experience, you're born with that fear for survival purposes, yeah. I mean, if you're a sheep and you didn't fear a fox. You're not going to last
0: too long, so yeah. Which already brings us to that's a very a benefit of having fear is that survival. It's like without fear, there are there's so many dangers in the world that you're likely to just run headlong into them, and then we're not going to survive. So it kind of does benefit a species to have at least some level of fear. Now maybe you don't want to be entirely fearful of everything, but you know then there are species like um, say like a deer or something who is more you would imagine more fearful because they have to be agile because they do have predators that are quite fast. So they are set off very, like a twig or, you know, they smell something in the wind, like, and then they'll bolt away. So I think that, yeah, fear itself is actually a pretty good, it's a beneficial trait to have in terms of if you want to actually survive. Yeah, definitely. I mean,
1: yeah, I mean, going back to your cliff example, if people didn't fear heights, then I would say that more people would be harmed or or may not be here because of uh the risks they take uh not being fearful of a height i guess so yeah yeah it's
0: definitely there for survival purposes if you didn't have fear i guess you'd have to have an environment that's set up that no matter what you do it wouldn't be harmful to you
1: yeah or otherwise you you just wouldn't survive very long i guess so maybe you know I could see a situation where removing fear would be beneficial if you wanted a numbers game. So for instance, if you wanted to rapidly keep um, replacing and growing or whatever, that might like, let's say it was a, I know this is going to get a bit weird, but let's say like a microorganism, you know, uh, maybe the removal of fear just lets it take risk in order and then it can expand really quickly or do some other things. So I guess there's there's always a balancing game in my mind of, of these kind of things and that uh it tends to be not one or the other but it's like um yeah there's different uses and different cases and
0: depending on the situation uh where whether it's beneficial or not that's a good point you'd have to take into the life cycle of whatever the organism is i guess like you said if it's rapidly reproducing then it can take more risks, so it doesn't have to be fearful doesn't necessarily need that whereas if you've got something that takes a long time to incubate then you do need it to survive a certain period of time in order to continue on the, the species yeah that's right yeah All right. there's a lot of things coming to mind but let's continue with uh some other another source of fear and that would be i guess we'd call that nurture so we got nature already and then we got nurture is the second one where it's like you learn that from other people around you you learn that from your own personal experiences you learn that from the environment can you think of any kind of fears that are common that we learn that we we aren't necessarily born with but over time we develop? Yeah, I think maybe not completely but I think that
1: uh, a big portion of say like let's say I was a skateboarder, a lot of the fear might come from the previous uh, accidents or incidents I have. So, you know, the first time I go to grind a, a grinder, grinder rail or something like that, I might not necessarily have the complete fear as if I ground the, grinded the rail and sort of had ten accidents Prior to that. And I guess it's also the number of incidences you, you have. So, like if I crashed one out of 50 times, then I'm probably going to take the risk. But if I crashed one out of every three times I do it, then my fear might be a lot higher. So, I think that's an example of like a feedback loop in a moment where you're undertaking a task or a, a particular behavior. And in that case, it's sort of real time fear feedback in order for you to basically. Uh, manage risk and and harm so the direct feeling of pain is what's going to create that fear i would i would say
0: yeah i think for learned fears it's really things that aren't common if you think that okay in order for us to have a natural fear of something we need to be exposed to it a lot it needs to like have multiple generations come across as it. where our environment like we've talked about in the past is changing so fast like skateboarding wasn't around hundreds of years ago. So that is a good example because we had to learn that fear. It wasn't something that was going to be born into us. And then it's unlikely even for hundreds of generations that enough people are going to experience that, that it is built into our DNA. So, yeah, I think that's really where the learnt, the nurture fear comes from is that we have to experience things and it's, it's things that wouldn't necessarily be exposed to by many people or we haven't been exposed to for a prolonged period of time. Yeah, I think a car
1: crash is a really good example of what you're saying there as well. So, like, you get a young teenager that really doesn't understand, has never experienced the physical impact of what a car crash can can feel like, and so they're going to take a lot of risks, not really understanding what the consequences are until they actually some people until they actually have it, and then after they have a car crash, uh, they're more. I would suggest that most of them are more likely to take less risks, particularly if they there was um, some harm during that, that crash. So it's one of those sort of modern contraptions that we've built that um, that inherently has a lot of risk. But it's not obvious if you from a nature point of view. Like you said, it's like a learnt one. Um, so really we get told by our parents that, you know, not to drive erratically, not to drive at high speed because of the consequences. And I guess as a kid you sort of hear about those consequences, but it's not really – some until you actually have the experience that it really ingrains that fear Um, because the fear is that feeling isn't it you know like that uh, that that scared feeling within you and if you don't get that then it's not going to set your body up for the correct sort of response I guess so you you just it's not going to prevent you from taking that risk and that's probably what happens
0: yeah in what natural way can you generate enough momentum that you would you know like a car with a weight yeah, yeah, exactly, with the weight. I guess thinking about that, like that's why a lot of people would be more scared of flying because that is more natural. You can fall off of things and experience what it's like to hit the ground from that. Whereas when you jump in a car because it's lateral, yeah, we don't really ever naturally, like you can run as fast as you can. You can run downhill, roll downhill, whatever it is. You're not really going to generate that much speed.
1: Yeah, I think the the flying one's interesting. You're right, yeah. So like it's more natural for us to be on land and move on land so therefore a car just seems like a natural extension of ourselves um and then a plane because we fly we're not naturally born to fly then yeah there's a inherent or a sort of an evolutionary fear hang on we're not we're not meant to to fly sort of thing so whereas moving on the ground is quite natural so moving in a you know two-ton car or something like that is um just an extension of that and probably doesn't create the fear that, that flight does um yeah
0: Even still, do you think that if you're in a car, if you get up to a fast enough speed, there is that sense of fear? I mean, for me, if you get up to, I don't know, I haven't haven't been that fast, like maybe maximum 120 or something kilometers, but if you get up to like 200 kilometers in a car, do you think there is that sense of, oh, hang on, this is fast? Because it is similar to, although it's in a different direction, it is similar to if you were falling, you would hit a certain speed that's a lot faster than uh, we're comfortable with. Interesting
1: things happen, I guess. I, I've probably sort of hit just under 200Ks in a car before, a couple of times before, and there's a, there's an interesting feeling of a mixture of uh, adrenaline and excitement and also uh, maybe a underlying sense of fear at certain points in time. It depends, I guess, also if you're in control of the vehicle. So I would say it's probably less comforting as a passenger, but if you're in the control of that vehicle um i'm not necessarily i don't necessarily think you'll always fear that that a lot of people will fear that fear um there'll be a lot of people that won't i think and part of that i think is that they've never undertaken they've never had the experience of the direct consequence when you do then you realize oh okay this is a lot of power this is a lot of force and can do a lot of damage and then um yeah and then i think you correct from there yeah
0: yeah okay yeah i guess everyone's gonna differ it's
1: yeah and i think we become uh complacent about it i don't think like i don't know what a truck would carry but there's maybe 30 40 tons in a truck that's driving and that thing can go at 100 k's an hour and um we do it day in day out i think we're complacent about the forces at play because everything goes so smoothly So, yeah, I think only as you get older, I think you start to realize you really appreciate the force that's actually at play. Mm.
0: Yeah. I want to move on a little bit with um, kind of defining what is fear. We talked about a few episodes ago pain and with pain we had, it could be both physical and psychological. I think with fear though, it's purely psychological. It can be Maybe we learn fear from a physical experience, but fear itself is is purely a psychological um, event. How does that sound to you?
1: I think the source is, but the symptoms uh, are def- can definitely be physical. So, for instance, I remember when I was really young and we used to have a – I would have been about maybe seven or eight, and we used to have the toilet outside, and so you'd have to go out the outside to – go to the toilet so i remember going out one night and i think there was a couple of possums that that were fighting and at that age i'd never heard it before and i remember this sense of fear that i actually had and i could feel like the they a lot of people will say that they feel like blood rushing from them i could feel that that just that go down my body and there was a period where I, i i froze i couldn't couldn't move for probably maybe it felt like a minute um and there's a lot of, yeah, I, I mean, there's a, I would say there's a lot of examples where fear, the source of fear may be maybe internal or, or mental, but, the, um, but the, the symptom or the outcome of that fear can definitely be physical.
0: I guess this comes to, okay, where do we draw the line? Because I do agree with you that there is a physical component to it, but I feel that that is oftentimes a reaction to the fear itself. I think the fear is a signal again to your brain that, okay, there's something wrong here or this cause for concern. So be mindful of that. And often our reaction to that fear is, okay, elevate your uh, autonomic sympathetic nervous system, I think, where it is to like speed things up, get prepared for fight, flight. What's the other one? I can't, there's a third one. I can't remember what it is, freeze or something like that. But yeah, I think that the, the physical component of it is actually a, symptom of the fear itself. Yeah, correct.
1: That's why yeah. So to me, the source of fear is uh mental, but then it can the symptoms of that fear can externalize into physical.
0: And that's where we get to what I want to really talk about and the main point I want to make with this on this topic or my main thoughts about the topic is that what is our reaction slash response to fear and how does fear benefit us. And I'm going to start this by saying there's like a pretty well-known quote that the only thing to fear is fear itself. And at first that sounds, I don't know, when I first heard that I didn't really think much of it, but when I when I actually was in a in a state where I was like fearful unnecessarily and that was causing me to act in a certain way, I realized that, okay, this quote has power because what it's saying is that fear is often when we have that fear, it, it causes us to react, it causes us to jump, it causes us to fight, it causes us to flee. And the problem with that is, in some instances it's good because it's a very fast reaction. So you can imagine if you're being chased by a lion or a tiger or an animal that's you know a predator, you want really fast reactions and you want them to be without thought, you want to jump at it. But I would say over 90% of the time that we are alive, we are never in a situation where we have to act such so fast that we need to just leave it to subconscious thought. But the problem is we are in fear a lot of our times in our lives and we allow our reactions to dictate how we will act. So when I say fear, we should... Only, fear it's quite... The only thing we should fear is fear itself. I, I really believe that because I want to make sure that when I am fearful of something... I'm not allowing that to dictate how I respond to whatever that is. I want to make sure that, okay, I want to choose how I respond to this. I most likely have time to think about what the stimulus is, think about how my actions are going to affect my, my response and then come up with an, a response of my own like conscious thought. Yeah, I think it's
1: one of those um – I don't know if it's considered an emotion, but in my mind it's kind of one of those emotions It's like a rude emotion or like a, an initiator of a lot of other emotions. So I don't uh, – the feeling of fear then creates a reaction of maybe aggression, weak, like weakness, freezing, uh, running, like fleeing. Yeah, there's certain certain different emotional responses that come, uh, that fear initiate, I guess, in you. And um, we've – in nature it was really good for some, that fight, flight and uh, freeze kind of scenario. That that was really good in a natural instinct. But now that we've sort of live in controlled environments, that we remove those uh, uh, natural hazards I guess, um, we still have fear but we the, um, maybe we don't need to react like we, we reacted in nature. We've got more time to actually understand or to, to respond to whatever – had happened, whereas in the past you just don't have that response. And maybe that is the need to feel that fear. So often, like, um, this is something I always think about as well. So, like, some people will say, Oh, what have they got to complain about? Because uh, these guys are doing a lot worse. So, you know, like, uh, I wasn't able to get my peanut butter this morning, and this person, you know, is trying to survive over here. So, but what's interesting is I think um, you sort of say, Well, they've got no reason to complain, but the complaining is actually like a natural human uh, feeling, so I think each individual needs to, at some point, go through that feeling of complaining. And I would say that the same is the same is about fear. Like you can't remove the feeling of fear. So if there isn't really any present uh, immediate risks, that doesn't mean that you're not going to actually get that feeling of fear. It just means that it's not necessarily useful in that environment that it was once useful for. So I guess what I'm saying is that as a human it is necessary that we have fear. Um you can't really remove it. Um but because our environment change has changed and there's no immediate risk, we it's not as valuable as it once was. And so we have more opportunity to basically um uh process that fear at that point in time and try and respond in a much more um, Valuable
0: manner, I guess. I agree with you. I think it is necessary that we do have fear. I'm trying to clean up what I was saying previously. My problem isn't with um, having or fearing things. My problem is that, okay, allowing that to control our actions. So when I say, okay, you should, the only thing you should fear is fear itself, it's really the only thing you should fear is that fear will take over. Fear will make you fly, fear will make you fight, fear will make you freeze without you choosing how to or which one to utilize and another another component of that is that a lot of our life is through now but fear it kind of revs you up it wants you to do something physical and so when you're sitting like at a computer screen and you're having an argument with someone or you see something that scares you maybe you watch a scary movie or something whatever it is that's it's bringing up that sense of fear in you it's actually revving up your body to do some physical activity as if it needs to react in a way that is physical but a lot of the time it is unnecessary for us to react in a way that's that's physical and instead what that does it, it kind of deteriorates our health if we don't let it out and so that is why it's like okay be mindful of of, of what fear is doing to you
1: yeah it's like learning so we've evolved so much so that our our envir- we control our environment and there's no uh real um Real immediate present danger to the levels that they were previously, but we still are left with the fear component. And so, yeah, I would agree. Now it's to, because we have evolved, it's to learn how to respond to that fear component, realizing we have more time to make a decision. Whereas previously you wouldn't, you know. So, you know, the lion's coming towards you, we definitely want fear to make you run. Or even, you know, freezing is actually a good one too. So you might not necessarily be doing anything, but freezing is for a lot of animals, I guess, that would be camouflage. So don't move. Uh, this, this predator can't see me because they can only really detect they're, they're highly sensitive to, to motion but not maybe the visual fidelity of um, or whatever and so you might blend in into surrounds by by freezing. So yeah, so it's definitely set up for more the natural environment and now we don't live in such a natural environment. Uh, we need to be aware of that and uh, like you said, you're right, it's detrimental uh, not to let it out but then what's the appropriate way to let it out? And if you've got a choice between responding and reacting, you, you, you want to try and respond to it.
0: Yeah, definitely a way to let it out is with um, some sort of physical activity, especially if you're in a high, heightened state of um, fear. I'm trying to think of a different word to use, anxiety, I guess, That's kind of relates. But then there's also exposure.
1: So, you know, I think – uh, I mean, this would have been difficult in a natural environment. I mean, how are you going to expose yourself to a fear to a lion? You're going to go chase it or stand up to it or whatever. But fear of heights, that's a, that's a good one. So basically setting yourself up in a safe situation and then exposing yourself so much so that you become desensitised. Um, and you sort of, yeah, <laughs> it's kind of like re-evolving your, your behaviour. And realizing okay yeah so this was an an inherent or a fear that was from evolution that served a purpose but that purpose it doesn't have much value at this point in time and so then you expose yourself over a period of time to to train your body not to not to be fearful of it yeah I think one way you're definitely
0: right in order to control how we react to or apply to fear is to expose ourselves to it get used to that feeling of it coming about I do wonder though, if it is necessary to have the specific instance of, of that. So specifically be confronted with a lion in order to learn how to overcome a fear of a lion, or if we can generalize that sense of fear. And that is something that I try to do myself is that put myself into certain situations where I am eliciting that fear response and then like learning to, to, okay, just observe it, realize it's here, look at what it's telling me and then choose how to respond to that so that if I do ever get encountered in a situation where it is something that is uncommon, like say I'm walking along a river trail and a snake pops out, you know, that's something that's uncommon. Maybe there's like with technology, we have ways to simulate that we could use like virtual reality or we could, I don't know, get someone to pull a snake on a string or something. I don't know, to try and simulate that. But if we can generalize that sense of fear and how to manage it once it comes about, then when we are confronted with something unusual and that fear sensation comes in us we can say okay we've dealt with this before what are the steps there it's like okay breathe take in take it in you know what do i have to react to immediately can i take my time with this you know what 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 is the danger to me what is the actual danger that i'm confronted with
1: yeah, it's, it's interesting. When I I agree in the fact that uh, the feeling is pretty consistent. I mean, the intensity of the feeling might be very different between a high-risk and a low-risk scenario. Um, so, uh, you know, let's say I, I did practice that feeling of fear, but that fear, the intensity of fear might be much greater when you first see a big, let's say, a bear, a black bear or something like that confront you because you've never actually been – your senses have – haven't been exposed to that experience so your mind might have been exposed to the feeling of fear and to try and overcome that but your senses bring in and the way I see it is like there's this chemical rush that sort of happens through your body in order to set itself up um, to a survival point of view and and the idea is to to be comfortable with that rush and to allow it to occur and I think this is always a hard piece with people and this is where I think the trick lies is that with any of these situations, I don't think it's just fear. It's like anger, sadness. It's, it's all those emotions. What you're trying to do is to realise that you have more time than you think you actually have. And it's to be comfortable with not making any decision in the moment. So I think people always um, – fear is really good at this, I think. Like FOMO, that's where the FOMO um, comes from, fear of missing out, is that what they're trying to do is to get you to make an immediate re- uh, uh, reaction – like a be able to make a decision immediately, um, which is generally the longer you leave a decision, the, I, I think the odds are better that you're going to likely make a better one. So what you do in, the, in fear, there's this careful balance to realising there is a risk, but how much of a risk is it actually? When do I have to make a decision? And during this decision-making process, I'm going to get a rush of chemicals through my body, And I'm going to have to try and just be comfortable with feeling that. Because that's the other thing. I think people, once you get that rush of chemical, that's something new. And people are like, I guess people in that moment would be um, uh, fearful of that unknown, you know, almost. And uh, what to do. Like they haven't feel it. So what am I doing and all the rest of it. So just allow it. Don't have to do anything. It's okay. Just sit with it until you have to make a decision, I guess.
0: Yeah. I think that's really good advice. Unless you're, I don't know, living in the wilderness or something, the majority of the, of, um, of times in your life where you are fearful, you're going to have ample time to, to deal with it. So the best thing to do is just train yourself. that Okay, if I ever get this, this experience, this rush, that's why I say the first thing to do is just take a breath because that really helps you slow things down. But yeah, what you're ideally trying to do there is, is to slow yourself down, evaluate, okay, how imminent is the threat? Is this something that if I don't react in a split second, it's going to destroy me? Otherwise, take your time. And a lot of the times we will conflate the the impact that whatever it is will have on us. You really need to be, okay, either this is going to kill me or it's not. If it's not going to kill you straight away, then you have ample time to deal with it generally. So that that would be my advice for anyone like who wants to train themselves to, to get better at dealing with it is to just, that's the first thing you want to do is to, to, learn to take a pause evaluate is this an imminent threat is this going to kill me if not okay you have plenty of time to figure it out and deal with it
1: yeah exactly and then not only just even if you if you're in situations like that i think there are survival situations where it does benefit you to still take that approach so you know in a in a crash or when you're going through a crash or you're going through let's say i think one thing that comes to mind is like the um the Navy Seals are trained in situations where a chopper will uh, crash into the water, and so what will, they'll they'll have this massive pool with this chopper on a big arm, and they'll actually simulate the crash that actually occurs. And uh, what they you know, what I've seen that they get trained is to basically um, to slow down your body because, you know, in a fearful situation, in that flight, fright, uh, flight and fight response your body is trying to push out an adrenaline kick to slow down time. So you've got the ability to, uh, it's almost like <laughs> it's almost like the clock speeds up and you've got more ability to make more decisions in between. Um, but I think in a lot of situations, they say if you're in a crash or if you're in these situations, do you know, put yourself in this position sort of like the, the fetal pose and then just try and keep yourself calm through that period of time. Whereas, you know, even when a car crash, take your foot off the pedal, just let the car to come to a stop a little bit and steer it to a stop, whereas a lot of people might try and slam on the brakes or they might try and accelerate out of a dangerous situation and then that actually caught, exacerbates the problem in a lot of situations. So even in, a, in issues where your life is at risk, the ability to slow down your body during that period of time and to, to um, have more time to make decisions is going to be valuable.
0: Yeah, I agree. I guess when I say imminent, what I mean is moments. I'm not talking about like anything longer than a few moments, which sounds like, oh, how yeah, can you make a decision in that time? But generally, you can. You, you can evaluate. Oh, okay, I've got a second at least to react to this. So, pause. Like you said, take your foot off the off the accelerator or whatever it is. Just yeah, get to like a neutral state, and then from that neutral state, make a decision about where you want to progress next. Yeah,
1: that's right. And in those real imminent moments, it's interesting. I think. If you practice that in those it's interesting to see how you respond when you when you are in a really rush situation. I've had a couple of incidents in a vehicle and I have thought I'm definitely going to crash and I haven't. And it's been really surprising. I'm like, how did I actually miss that crash? And I still can't figure it out. It's just something that has been ingrained to to deal with that situation that just reacted in, in the moment and reacted correctly. So yeah. I guess in that moment you're, you've practiced certain things enough that when it does come about that hopefully it, um, it works the way you want to if you, if you are going to react, if you have to react and not have the time to process and respond.
0: Mm, one of the things I was thinking of, okay, how, what's a good short phrase to, to, to remember when you're thinking about, okay, how do I deal with something that's making me fearful? And that is to acknowledge the fear and then exchange it for focus. So it's like, okay, this is telling me something's harmful. Okay, now focus my attention on whatever it's telling me is harmful and then figure out what you want to do from there. Yeah, I'd say
1: that's a yeah, really good strategy.
0: I think the next place I want to go with this is we talked about, okay, it is good to be able to to take your time to think about how you want to respond to whatever is bringing about that fear of anxiety that or that emotion that's coming and it's taking over you. But it takes time to develop that and a lot of us, you know, we don't tend to develop that. So one thing is that other people understand that, okay, if we can get someone into a fearful state, we can with more confidence predict how they're going to act. So I want to talk about then, okay, how is fear used as a way to control people?
1: So the main thing comes to my mind is that, uh, if you were to use fear to control people, I think what you're trying to do is to make to get them to make poorer decisions than you will. That would be my ultimate goal. Is if I can make you more fearful, I know that in those moments you're likely to make a poorer decision than me, because you you're not going to give yourself the time to to respond and process. So the fear of missing out is exactly that. Like a salesperson, the whole point of that kind of concept with a salesperson like if, if they undertake that t- tactic of fear of missing out, they just want you to make a, the decision to purchase. So they create the fear that you're going to miss out in order for you to make the decision to purchase it. So they don't really care whether that's a good decision for you or not. It's a good decision for them, for you to buy it. So that's th- – th- that, that in a general form, I think that really – that's where it really lies is to – put someone else in the state of fear to make a, a poor decision. I mean, even in sport, you think about sport. If I rough you up and start, um, if you're the tr- kind of character that, that, uh, that uh, can be pulled down from being roughed up or, you know, giving, giving you a bit of stick or whatever, um, you're going to start fearing me and dreading me. That's what I want you to do because uh, more likely you're going to start thinking about what I'm doing and you're not going to be thinking about what you're doing. That's the exact position I want you to be in, because then uh, I'm in control of the situation. Then, so
0: yeah, that that I don't know. What what do you think? Do you? Yeah, I I haven't thought through it too much. Just while you were talking, I was um, some things were coming to mind. I think I'm more more because I think most people would agree that okay, if you can get someone into a state like you said, the fear of missing out, the fear of whatever, being injured or something, we are able to push someone into a certain direction and i was thinking about okay well what is why is that why is it more why is it easier to manipulate someone into a certain into going down a certain path if they are in a state of fear and i wonder if it's because when we're in a state of fear we're looking for a solution that is is quick that will cure whatever you know the, whatever the fear is. So if it's an animal chasing us, it's like, we need a solution quick. Okay, run away. We need a solution quick. Okay, uh, fight, fight back. Like I can take this, this person on this, whatever it is. So I think when you're in a situation where you are shopping and you've got a someone who's trying to sell you something. They want to put you into a sense of you're like, okay, I've got to do something. But you don't quite know what to do. You run away. That's not really going to help you fight this person. Well, they're not really that aggressive towards you. So you're like, well, what do I do? And then they give you a solution to that. And instead of you taking the time to think about, okay, is this solution actually doing what I want it to do? You're like, yes, that's the solution I should take. That'll get me out of this fierce state. Let's do it.
1: Yeah, I'd agree that people also... That's a, that is a good point that what you do by creating a fear is you make a situation where you the person thinks they need to make a decision. So like uh, I think the old um, security alarms was a classic one. So, uh, you know, me without talking to anyone, do I need a security alarm? No. If I have someone come up to me and statistically show me that Uh, one in five houses, get something robbed from them um, last year, do I need a security alarm now? Okay, maybe I do need to think about it. Okay, so now if I start to create more fear in your mind and go, oh, well, what about if um, you're sleeping and someone came in and, uh, they go into your daughter's room to take something or whatever. Now I'm starting to create more sense of fear. So firstly, I presented a decision that you needed to make that you probably didn't need to make. Secondly, now I'm actually creating fear around that decision so you make the right the decision that I want you to make. So yeah, I would also say that yes, um, people can use fear to present a decision that you need to make that you might not have even had to worry about. So it's like in that moment... So as soon as you do that, what you're doing is you're making the person think that they only have a yes and a no answer when it's like nothing. You can do nothing, and people don't often go to that nothing. Um, and so, yes, first you create that fear, then you exacerbate it to the decision you want.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a really good way to put it. That it does come across as a binary solution. Then there's only you do this one thing or you that's it. <laughs> you're in trouble. I think a lot of people
1: think that way too instead of like we're always quick to want an answer. I think what you were saying before is true. We're, I suppose what you're trying to do is prey on the weakness that everyone feels good when they actually have an answer. But it's like um, so if you can give them a problem and then they've got the answer for it and you, you make them feel like that they've come up with an answer, um, then they're going to feel good about themselves. Whereas I don't think people get the same reward when it's like it's unknown. So like – um, oh, I don't need to make a decision. So in that in that moment of whether I, you know, like if I presented those facts about uh, burglary in your area or break-ins in your area and then I, I give you the decision about the alarm or not, uh, I think there's not many people that would say, oh, look, give me a month to think about it and then come back.
0: Yeah, I think that's the key there. That's the trick is to make it sound like the threat is imminent, that you have to respond or react Really quickly, and then you give them that one option. And then anytime, even if they attempt to think, okay, well, how about we try something else? It's like, well, we can think through that, but you know, this problem, someone's gonna bug you tonight. You might want this system in before then. Like it's to it's to try and get you into a state where you're trying to make the fastest decision possible, and the only semi well thought out solution you have is the one that someone else is presenting to you. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I've had people,
1: you know, those people that knock on your door and try and sell something. And the most the the funniest thing to watch well it's not funny I mean I, f- I feel bad for these people because they're trying to earn money and it's it's a it's a difficult job um, but what's interesting is if, if you try and uh, push them off if you say look leave me with the information and uh, I'll call these guys in a week or two they don't want to leave because they know that really the they want you to make the decision that day and if you don't make the decision that day they don't get their they don't get their cookies kind of thing They don't get their pay so you know the system and and that's been set up by management because they know you're most vulnerable at the moment you're a you're exposed to the the issue and b you're um you're sort of manipulated into that solution that you're missing out so you know if i leave you for a week that's too much time now you're going to actually now you're actually going to research and find the problem so now you're yeah now now that that ability to make a poor decision in that moment is is gone. So that's why that's why sales, I think, force you to try and make – like I've done it before. I've done like, um, you know, uh, sort of getting leads in shopping centres, having to try and sell services on the phone, telemarketing, or been even doing door knocking sales like for changing energy plants and stuff like that. They're all the same. They're trying to get you to make a decision immediately. Um, because they know that that's, that's where the weakness is. That's where they get their most money. So they won't spend any effort following you up after a week or two. It's not – it's highly unlikely you're going to do it. So it's in the moment.
0: I know we've talked about this previously, but it's kind of all coming together now in this discussion, is the, that idea that, okay, a telltale sign that anyone, someone is trying to control you or manipulate you is that they won't give you a chance to think about things. And I guess – I mean, that that was, that was seemed obvious to me, but I guess the mechanism for that is is that fear, is that they don't give you a chance because that keeps you in that state of fear, which makes you want to make a quick decision. And so as soon as you get out of that state, you're going to obviously think it through and be like, hang on, this person was trying to control me. They were trying to force me to do something that was unnecessary. I didn't want to do that would benefit me or even harm me. So yeah, that's, I don't know. Just it all clicked together in my mind when you were talking through that that example.
1: Yeah, so I would say if you're ever in a situation where you feel that someone's pressuring you to make a decision on the spot, that's a situation you should almost walk away from, even if you do miss out because majority of the time it's going to be a poorer decision. So that's what I feel straight away. So like, I, I, you know, I know there's certain retail stores that do that and it really turns me away straight away. You walk in and there's someone right at your shoulder and – there's a difference between that and having good customer service. It's funny because the same kind of store that whether you're at the shoulder, you might do something different. You might dress up different or go to a different department and uh, it's almost impossible to get help. And then other times it's like, yeah, it's, there's three running towards you. It's like it's interesting in certain situations how they perceive who you are, your vulnerability level. Like there's so many different ways in which I feel sales, sa- selling of goods preys on this 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 area um and for those people that work in the industry I, I mean it's just a consequence of the teachings that have happened over years of time i wouldn't sort of blame necessarily individuals it's almost like a, a system problem we've set the system up to basically take advantage of our own vulnerabilities
0: <laughs> well it does work the problem is it only works short term you're i don't know what are you biting the hand that feeds or something i'm trying to think of a good uh, good uh, analogy for it but what you're doing is yes you may make that sale to begin with but as soon as the person has a little bit of time to think about what happened they're less likely to go back to you because they realize that they've been taken advantage of and the problem is like it's so cutthroat that a lot of people don't consider the long-term consequences of the action so we're all acting that, like, okay if i make the sale now that I need this sale right now I can't think about the sale that I want to make next week and so it's like you're I don't know you're eating all the resources now and then you're gonna have nothing left in the future
1: yeah yeah and what would be weird is that I think some people actually enjoy the purchasing process too so um, for some people it actually works and they do come back like you know oh I bought new tv from this guy I didn't Did the person need a new TV? Probably not. But the excitement, the adrenaline rush through buying that TV or whatever actually was why they're purchasing another one. It's maybe not necessarily the TV themselves. So I think everyone knows that person that, like, they just want to buy all the new stuff all the time. And it's like, they've got a shelf full of, you know, the different models over the years of things. And you're like, you didn't really need those things. You're just convincing yourself that you need them because you actually like the rush of buying something new. And so... Yeah, I guess for those people when they're exposed to those situations, um, yeah, they're they're really vulnerable.
0: Sure, but is that the kind of customer you want? Like even if they are a returning customer, are they the ones you want? Because they're the ones who if they go somewhere else and someone else does the same thing, what's to stop them going somewhere else to get that kind of rush? You want the the customer that… feels appreciated that feels like oh they've got some kind of loyalty to you whereas this person's just there for the hit they're not there for the actual loyalty for the person there
1: yeah unfortunately I saw I think our society is set up for that hit like it you know it does reward the quick purchases it does reward um, and but it do, you're right it does cause a problem so one of the problems I think it does cause is that um, everyone just sort of goes to a retail store to learn maybe learn about the item and goes home and tries to search for the cheapest way to get it and so they've got the service from one store and then they just went and purchased it from offline for $200 less and it's just rewarding that kind of, uh, I don't know, it, to me it's kind of a bit of a poor behaviour because I, I don't know, we, we forget about the service that happens in between and rewarding the service and so if we don't actually reward the service we just get poorer service over a period of time as, as customers. So it's kind of like we're voting for poorer service because we're actually looking for getting ripping the service off and then finding a, a cheaper one.
0: You're definitely right. There is that is that a problem that should be solved? Like, is it is it necessary to have? I mean, this is getting off the topic of fear, but that's all right. Is it necessary to have like a brick and mortar store with someone that you interact with there, or is it is it that we just don't need that anymore? And so maybe that's just like where we're slowly like weaning ourselves off of that.
1: Yeah. I think you still have the problem. Let's say we did it all online. You'd still have the problem because some places are going to give you the service that you want, but they come at a higher cost. So it depends on how much you want to value that service. And if you've got the freedom to take it from, take the service from them and then go somewhere else. Like let's say I buy a Samsung. This is the, the trick. Like if I buy a Samsung phone, I'm covered from Samsung pretty much wherever I buy it. It doesn't really matter as long as it's, you know, like not a grey product or something like that. So really where I buy it from, even if they give me good service, it's still up to me where I purchase it from and I can get the service that I want for free and then go buy it somewhere else, which is, um, I don't know, it, that's where it's important for each individual to to start to think about what they actually want. And maybe you want to spend
0: that little bit extra to the the corner store that actually helps you out. Yeah, you're right. It's important to think about, okay, what are the consequences of those actions? What, what did I act, what in, in researching, in figuring out about the product, what part of that was actually valuable to me? Well, the part of it that was valuable most to you is probably the person going through, okay, this is what you, what these are the features you're looking for. Maybe this is the product you need that, service as you're talking about is actually what's valuable about it but you're not rewarding what is actually valuable you're rewarding the part that's there's very little value in actually and so you think about it okay what's the consequences of those actions well then the the things that are valuable to you in life for example putting food on your table are you looking at the farmers and going okay I should be putting my money to here or are you looking at the online delivery services and thinking, okay, well, they're giving it to me conveniently. I should reward them. So what are you you actually saying when you're making that purchasing decision?
1: Yeah, I think the idea of what you're saying about rewarding there is really important. I think people sort of forget, you know, I guess we're trained to think that we have a vote from a government point of view, but you have a a vote every time you take your wallet out. And so it's really up to you to vote. And then the classic case that people say is that, oh uh, well, you might change yourself, but, you, you know, that's going to do nothing. That's that's the poorest of responses. It's like, well, okay, if there's no desire for you to change, how do you expect anyone else to have the desire to change?
0: You're saying that, it, like, your vote doesn't count or your vote doesn't make a difference? Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, that kind yeah.
1: Of, those kind of concepts. So, yeah, people um, people make poor decisions. They know it's poor and they just create excuses like that they say oh well you know of course i'm going to do it this way because everyone does it that way so i'm not going to fix the problem of getting service but it's kind of like well if you don't expect anyone else, if you don't expect yourself to change how do you expect anyone else to
0: change so can i just say that is one of the worst ways to make yourself feel better is to think that oh because everyone else is doing it that's okay that means that you inherently know that what you're doing is wrong but you're still doing it and you're just finding any way to justify it. It's like that to me, if I'm ever thinking, oh, because everyone else does it, that's like no, stop, that's wrong.
1: Yeah, I'd, I'd say so too. But, um, yeah. So I mean, that, that was a bit of deviation from fear, but I think they, yeah, they have the they have the same, uh, they have a relationship to it from that from that fear of um, you know sales and things like that. I guess.
0: Okay. The only other thing I want to really cover is okay. Well, how do you train yourself to manage fear what what should you do to manage fear before we get to that though because i feel like that is a good way to wrap it up is there anything else that you wanted to talk about that you were thinking about uh
1: not necessarily i think that uh what the only thing i was thinking about is can you detect fear in someone else or can you detect fear in other things and um so is it just an external thing or is it an external thing and I think what we've been talking about is external because if people can take advantage of it, they can actually sense that you're yeah, you're in those states. I would su- I would suggest. Um, but yeah, then
0: yeah, sorry. No, no, that's that's a really good point and a good uh, avenue to go down. So then, I mean, a lot of us probably have in our minds a picture of what someone in fear would look like. What are some telltale signs? Then do you think that okay, this person this person is anxious. This I can take control. I can manipulate <laughs> this. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's
1: so many different signs, like even just fidgeting, not looking at your eyes directly, you know, or the eyes popping out of the head. That might be fear. Maybe they're white as a ghost. I guess it's going to be dependent on the intensity of the fear. But yeah, there's a lot of situations you can tell. Stances, I guess, stances are a really interesting one. Are they confident and sort of present or are they sort of hunched and standing at distance? I think there's a lot of, a lot of signals to to picking up someone's level of fear
0: yeah, if we think about the root of where their um these physical telltale signs are coming from, it is that, okay, I need to perform some physical action to get out of this state. So yeah, like you said, it's it's getting in the stance to move, it's in the stance to run, it's in the stance to fight, it's yeah, you're you're I don't know, you're fidgeting because you're ready to do some quick movements, like that kind of stuff. So anytime you see someone who's who's ready to do some active movement really quick, that's probably a good sign that they are. In that state yeah yeah
1: and then looking around I guess also like if you you know I think someone that looks around when they're fearful is actually set up well so like they're actually scanning the environment they're trying to assess the situation like I guess there's different ways in which people deal with the fear as well so picking up someone that's actually good with dealing with fears going to have uh, different telltale signs than someone that I guess is unable to manage that fear but I'd say you could pick up up in both it's just they're they're, the way in which they're controlling that fear is different
0: yeah and it's good uh good for us as well we think yeah you can see this in someone else but we can also detect these signs in ourselves so like when you're fidgeting when you're jumping around when you're looking around uh, like your eyes are moving rapidly this suggests to us okay we're in a heightened state here be cautious. So you can use these as kind of flags to yourself that okay, be careful what you do now because we're in a highly reactionary state. This could be taken advantage of. Just be a bit more mindful that if someone's trying to suggest something to you, okay, have I actually thought this through, or am I just going off of what someone has presented me with? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's really interesting to think, is you you like you use the sales analogy, but then you also use the sporting analogy, and it's interesting to think of it in a sporting sense because that's definitely a way to to like kind of manipulate the player, you don't really, it's, it's subtle, I think, and it's fast, but you can tell, you can tell that someone's suggesting to go in one direction or the other, and then you can take advantage of that movement. And I think that, I mean, that for me is where I really enjoy sports is where you can see when a player is kind of directing the other player where to go and using that to control them.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Those actions and all the rest of it. Um, and then there's probably instinctual. I mean, you think about, uh, I was going to say the other thing is fear is universal. You can see, I think most of us can see it in other animals and et cetera, and animals can see it in other animals. That's why a dog will chase a, a cat or, you know, it sees, you ever, you ever see dogs and what's really interesting about dogs is you see the value in fear for them as a predator as well. So you're not, you know, and that's where I was going to go next, is what do you do if you see someone in fear? So from, from a predatory instinct, that's, that's the sign that you're going to get food, you know? So for a dog, um, many a times a big dog, and there's a small dog. If the small dog doesn't run off, then the small dog's okay. But as soon as the small dog starts to run off, that's like a tail tile sign for the big dog to go chase it. Um, because it knows, okay, yeah, I've, I'm, I'm the winner here. I'm the, the stronger of the two. Uh, it's in fear. So therefore, I'm going to chase it down. And I guess in that case, it's going to try and um, be alpha male or, or whatever. Uh, but, uh, but I guess as humans, if we can tell a sense of fear, you probably want to extend an arm out where you can and help people get through it because it's a value to, to
0: you in the long run, I think. Is it with, I can't remember, I think it's bears, but or there's some animal where they say to make yourself appear big. And I guess it's because if you're thinking about it from this type of perspective, it's like if you do that, it shows that you aren't scared of them. And if you aren't scared, that they're going to look at you like something's wrong here. This person should be scared.
1: Yeah, exactly. It was one of the things I learned when I was uh, doing trades and uh with dogs and i realized after a period of time the best way to um have a dog now you're going to get the one in a million but most of the time the the best way to um uh have you know where the dog is thinks that they got you in a fearful state is just to ignore them to ignore their presence completely and then they're like oh i don't even make a i can't even get this person's attention but as soon as you start to like push back or I, you know, like jump back or whatever. The dog knows, okay, yeah, yeah I'm in control. Um, but if you just ignore it, it realises it's, it's not in control. It doesn't get what it w- wants
0: to do. so Yeah, as soon as you show an emotional reaction, they've said, okay, I've got you in the state, I want you in now. I know yeah. how to act from here. Yeah. And I
1: think a lot of animals, it I mean, I don't know a bear would be the one you do it. I think a bear you want to lie down because they're a lot bigger than you. Um, but there are a lot of animals, yeah. Like birds do the same thing. So... Birds will fuff their feathers up and try and make themselves bigger, so it's a common technique. Um, I think octopuses, like there's a lot of animals that will do that situation where they'll blow themselves up. I think even is it the peacock with the little feathers with the eyes on the back? That's to make it a much big because it's a weak animal, so it's to make it much bigger and to appear that there's like you know eyes on the on the on the feathers. And so there's a lot of techniques. Yeah, yeah,
0: to come across as intimidating. It's a good thing we don't live in a place with a lot of bears because I think I'd be in uh, a lot of trouble then. All right then, so I've got here, in order to manage fear, I've got like kind of a three-step process. It'd be to uh, observe the stimulus, consider your response, and then react or respond with something that's minimally influenced. So I guess anytime you sense yourself in a heightened emotional state, an anxious state, in a fearful state, what you do is like we first like we said you just want to take a moment for a second give yourself a little bit of space then you want to observe okay what is what is um what is making me fearful and then take a considered thought about okay well how do i actually want to respond to this like and and like we were saying if someone is providing you a solution while you're in that state be very cautious of that because it's likely that it's it's at best, it, it might benefit you, but it's unlikely it's, it's going to benefit you the most. It's going to be the best solution for you. Yeah, that's right. And I think the
1: ultimate goal is to try and maintain a level of control. So I think that, you know, when you said uh, uh, the only thing to fear of is fear itself, I think the reason why that resonates with me is as soon as you get in a, an intense fearful state, you lose control and losing control is probably a human's greatest fear. I think the ability for us not to have control. So like, you know, you hear these different stories that someone got out of bed one day and they couldn't walk properly or, or couldn't see or whatever. That, that I think is a, a, a hugely fearful state. And I think when you, when you are in a fearful state, you do… …the, the body is set up like that, that rush, that chemical rush or that physical response. It's set up to um, almost like take control of your thought process… And so sometimes you just need to to succumb to that to be okay with that. You're not always going to be in control, um, and not to to freak out because that's just going to be in that loop of exacerbating the problem.
0: I think. Yeah, hundred percent. That being out of control is is the thing to fear most because, regardless of what the threat is, if you are able to consciously analyze it, if you are able to consciously think about, okay, how can I deal with this? You're, you have the most, the best possibility of a favorable outcome in that situation. So even though your reactions may be, even the way you would act in a reactionary sense, maybe the exact same action you would choose in a conscious sense, you will more often or most most commonly select the optimal action, making a conscious decision. And so losing that control, losing that sense, that ability to choose how you act is, is really the most detrimental thing. That's why, Yeah. ...be wary when you're when you um, fearful.
1: And I think you said something earlier... ...and I'll take something you said about a different show as well... ...which was the pain show. So I think, yeah, focus is definitely a, a really good tool... ...or technique to, to do when you're fearful... ...is to, okay, I'm in a feared state... ...okay, now I'm going to actually put focus on something... ...and you obviously want to try and put focus... ...on where the, the source of the fear is coming from. Um, and then, or if, if you're unable to, you know, do that... ...even just the fact that you can focus on your breathing... So I think you're sort of saying with pain, whenever you're feeling severe discomfort or pain, what you'll try and do is actually focus on your breathing because that gets you through it. And I, I would say that that's a that's a, a good technique as well. So if you're highly fearful, just sort of take a, a get the rhythm back in your body, start breathing again, get the systems working again. So because there is, it's I mean, I'm sure biologists or people that understand the body better, but there's definitely a chemical response happening in your body that you're you don't have control necessarily over at that point in time. And so um yeah, you just gotta manage that the best the best
0: that you can. Yeah, definitely like you said, focus has two two benefits to it is that I mean focusing on breathing is two benefits. One, you're drawing your attention to something. And the second benefit is you're focusing on breath, which is actually making you perform at your your best. All right. Then the other thing I wanted to note is that, uh, like we said, you can generalize fear and you can kind of learn to get comfortable with it or learn what it feels like and then learn how you want to, how do you want to act once you get that feeling. And a way that I do that is to put myself into situations like every day that I am a little bit fearful of. Some of them, for example, are uh, cold exposure. So doing like cold showers, it's always scary to jump into it, but you want to, you want to be doing, oh, oh, I want to be doing that because what it does is it puts me in that fear state. And it's like, okay, you can deal with this. You can pause yourself. You can feel it and realize that you can deal with this. It's just don't allow that to take over the way you act. Another way is with some certain physical activities. For example, I used to hate pull-ups. I don't know why it just probably because I couldn't do them. I couldn't, couldn't even do one. And so I would always be fearful to try it. And then So I was like, okay, well, i got to do this every day because that's putting me into that fear state, which is allowing me to get comfortable with it. So whilst it's also building up my um, physical ability, it's building up my mental ability to deal with fear.
1: Yeah, confronting fears, how you manage it, I guess. In in, in safe situations, there's some fear, you know, it's it's healthy. Like if my house is on fire, I'm not going to go confront it to, to replace that fear. I think that's good to have that fear to run out the house. But yeah, other ones, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's just confronting it. There's situations where, you know, I think a lot of people have that social fear and, it, and the longer uh, you go without socialising, the greater the fear is going to happen. So, yeah, always challenging yourself is, is one way to, to – yeah, it's like training, I guess.
0: And the other thing to remember when you are training it, when you're in that fearful state, if you're doing something that isn't physical, you want to do some physical activity after you are in that fearful state go for a walk, go for a run, whatever. I guess the benefit of the cold shower thing is actually your body handling the cold is actually using up that heightened energy level that you've uh, developed through that anxious state.
1: Yeah, I think that's true for a lot of different emotions actually is is getting it out through some form of exercise or some physical activities, you know, uh, maybe maybe not some of the the upset ones or depression, but excitement, anger, you know, fear, all these kind of ones, they, they all drum up, energy within your body i'm assuming that's through the chemical responses or whatever um, that needs to be exerted and uh, if it's not exerted then it's kind of like unspent and yeah i guess problems can occur it eats you up and that's where
0: you get all these like chronic diseases Mm. all right mick is there anything else that you want to you want to mention that's it that's it okay i'm happy to leave it there as well my supplemental song suggestion for today is Fearmonger by Saba. A bit on the nose, but <laughs> it's a good song. And then my quote this is a little long one, so uh, settle in. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate, our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. It's not just in some of us, it is in everyone. And as we let our own lights shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. And that's by Marianne Williamson from the... um, Excellent movie, Coach Carter as well. All right. Thanks, everyone, for uh, joining us for this discussion. We look forward to hearing your thoughts on this topic. As always, be well.